We've been looking at cooperation with God. You know, somehow some people think that the Christian life somehow is something we do, but it's not cooperation with God. Romans 8 blows that idea out of the water. This is a teamwork. And that's why we have all of these words that are talking about something we're doing together. We read verse 16, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, and we think that's to us. No, that's bearing witness to the world. He is bearing witness together with us to the world that we are children of God. And that's something that we all need to be doing. I have an old friend who's now with the Lord. Uh, He's actually a cowboy friend of the cowboy friend that I told you about who lives and works here on a ranch in uh, Tennessee. Um, He's with the Lord now, but uh, he was an old bull rider and bronc rider and cowboy and everything else, but great Christian. And uh, he would witness to everybody. And one time somebody asked him, how can you just witness to everybody? What's the secret? And he said, it's very simple. Just tell the story. If you stop and think about it, that's all Matthew, Mark, and Luke did. They just told the story. And uh, we need to learn to tell the story and uh, just, just lay it out for people in a very simple way. So we have co-witness, co-heirs, co-sufferers, co-glorified, co-lifting up. We were looking at verse 26. That was the fifth. We come down, of course, to verse 28, and that's where we started. Uh, I'll skip that one for a minute. Look at verse 29, and people really mess this up. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Let me just say this to you. The word predestined, proorizo, is used five times in the New Testament. It is never, ever used of salvation. Never. It is always about what God has destined for those who believe. For those who trust in Christ, He has established a destiny ahead of time. And we are the ones that He foreknew because we were foreknown where? We were foreknown in Christ before the foundation of the world. Uh, there are some notes, by the way, on your uh, back in your appendix on election. <clears throat> Have you ever heard of the law of first mention? Some of you know that one of the rules of interpretation is that the first time you see a word used in Scripture, that is kind of determinative of how that word is going to be used. For example, the first time that we find grace in the Bible, does anyone know where the first time grace shows up in the Bible? story of Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What about the first time we see the word believe? It's the foundation of Paul's whole theology. Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. So that's the first use of the word believe. What about the word worship? You know, we use the word worship in kind of a trite way today as singing. Singing is worship. Well, whatever happened to the study of God's Word as worship and and serving as worship? First time the word worship shows up tells us what worship's all about. It's when Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to offer him as a sacrifice, and he said, the lad and I will go yonder and worship. And that should tell us something about what worship involves. It's obedience to God's command. It's sacrificial. It's going to cost something but it fulfills the plan and the purpose of God. 
and another rabbit trail, if you don't mind. Have you ever noticed that Abraham and Isaac both go up the mountain? You know, the old rabbis used to say, don't just look for what's in the text, look for the important things that are missing. Did you ever notice that when Abraham comes down the mountain, he comes down alone? Hebrews tells us that Isaac was resurrected in a figure. Right? Hebrews 11. When Abraham goes up, he goes up with Isaac. When he comes down the mountain, it's just Abraham. Isaac's disappeared. Do you know when Isaac appears the next time? Beautiful picture here. The next time you see Isaac is at the wedding with Rebekah. He goes out into the field. She comes out to meet him. Perfect picture of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's gone until he comes back for the bride. The bride goes out to meet him. And you have a picture of the rapture. So beautiful, beautiful pictures. So first mention is very, very important. And uh, so the idea of foreknowing and the idea of predestining all relates to the idea of Election. When is the first time that election is mentioned in the Bible? Isaiah 42, 1. Who's it about? It's about Jesus Christ. Behold my servant, my elect one, in whom is all my delight. Here's a definition of election for you. Election always has to do with your relationship to Christ. Relationship to Christ. He is the elect one. We are elect in Him. So whom He foreknew, He predestined, that is all who believe in Christ have been predestined to be conformed, co-formed, we'll just go ahead and put conformed, to His image. Ultimately, all who believe, as we gather in eternity, we are each and every one, and we're not going to be equal. There are going to be differences in eternity, but we are all going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So now we've gone from time into eternity. We're looking forward into eternity. Conformity is the seventh of the co-words. And the last one we find in verse 32 I'll read verse 31 with it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him? Goes back to what we saw earlier. Co-heirs. With Christ. With Him. Freely give us all things. When we put all of these seven together... Romans 8.28 makes sense. The Christian life is a partnership. It's a partnership in the plan of God with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that does a pretty good job of at least hitting the high points of Romans 8. I want to speak for just a couple of minutes on Romans 9, 10, and 11, and I'll be done for the day. Romans 9, 10, and 11 has been the most abused 
section of Scripture of probably any. Uh, it's been used to teach things that the Bible does not teach. For example, Romans 9 is not about salvation. If you would, just open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 9, and I'll show you the key verse of Romans, actually 2, of Romans 9. I'll start in verse 1. I tell the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Notice here once again that idea of a co-witness with the Holy Spirit. But I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. He's basically saying here what Moses said in Exodus 32 as he pled for the Israelites after they committed idolatry. But verse 4 and 5 are the key. Who are Israelites? To whom pertains the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came who is over all the eternally blessed God. You have a list of eight privileges, election, is to privilege and service related to Christ. The nation of Israel was chosen with all of these wonderful privileges to bring about the coming of the Savior into the world. Romans 9, 10, and 11 show Israel's past, Israel's present, and Israel's future. He tells us how God made a selection. What was the purpose of the selection? If you're going to have a family line, you have to have a selection, don't you? You can't have a family line from 20 different grandfathers. Right? There has to be a process of selection. If you want my definition of election, here it is. Election is a process of selection that requires rejection for the purpose of inclusion. You say, what? In order for God to bring Jesus Christ into the world, He had to select those through whom He would come. You can read their lineage in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3. He chose those people, which meant that He had to reject others. Right? He had to reject some in order to select those few. But the rejection of those people was not that they would not be saved or not have the opportunity for eternal life. He was rejecting them so that through the coming of the Savior, they could all be included in the offer of salvation. Christ died for all men. Christ died for every member of the human race. No one is rejected from the offer and from the opportunity of having eternal life. So that process of selection took place. When he talks about Isaac and Ishmael, and people want to make it all about salvation, there's a real problem with that because I can prove to you from about five different passages that Ishmael was a believer. Ishmael was a believer. Do you know that his mother was the only woman who ever gave God a name in the Bible? Did you know that when she was cast out at the word of Sarah and she wandered in the wilderness and they were dying of thirst and she laid Ishmael under the bush and she went and the Lord spoke to her and He said, 
why are you crying, Hagar? And he told her to go back under Sarah and showed her a well. And what did he say? I have heard the voice of the lad under the bush. Does God hear and answer the prayers of unbelievers? And so what did Hagar say? You are the God who sees me. She gave him a name. She's the only woman in the entire Old Testament that ever did that. She's the about the only, maybe the two, I'm thinking of her and Samson's mother, that the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to in the Old Testament. She goes back under Sarah, and then later when she leaves again, what does God say to her? I'm going to be with your son, and I'm going to make him a great nation, and there are going to be 12 princes. And it says he became an archer, and he was an archer in the wilderness, and God was with the lad. Does that sound like an unbeliever to you? I don't think so. So the issue here is not salvation. The issue is the line of Christ. God was selecting the line of Christ to provide salvation for every member of the human race. And what happened? Well, we learn at the end of Romans 9, the Jews rejected their Messiah. All of those privileges mentioned in chapter 4 and 5 led in one direction, led to one end, the Savior of the world. And when Jesus came into the world and Israel rejected their own Savior, guess what happened? They lost all their privileges. The nation itself was rejected. And when Jesus stood and wept over Jerusalem and pronounced in, in Matthew 23 a sevenfold curse on the nation, He said, you will not see Me henceforth until you say, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Salvation was offered to them. Salvation was rejected by them. And because they were the nation that brought the Savior into the world, they were placed under a national curse with a result that 40 years after the crucifixion, the Romans came in and destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and the nation ultimately ceased to exist. That's how horrible that sevenfold curse in Matthew 23 worked out to be. Romans chapter 10, what does Paul tell him? Hey, it's not hard. You don't have to go into heaven. You don't have to go down into hell to bring Christ up. What is it? The Word is near you, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is what? The Word of the Gospel that we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For, and then he quotes Joel 2.32, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Does it sound to you like Paul saying Israel can't be saved? Of course not. He's doing everything in his power to win his kinsmen according to the flesh to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then we get to the really beautiful part in the 11th chapter where he shows the reason that he states this and the reason he links it with this is because he wanted to set the stage for why Israel is going through what Israel is going through, and things are not working good for them, but it's working great for the Gentiles, because God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And so the salvation Israel rejected, the Gentiles are grabbing it with both hands, and therefore they are being richly blessed. And what does he say? 
He says, this is how God works. Israel was an olive tree that was dying on the vine. God engrafted a wild olive into it, contrary to nature, supernatural, a divine work to bring it back to life. And he says the day is going to come when the church is going to bring life back to that dead tree and they are going to once again profess their Savior and enter back into the covenant. And do you know what that is? That's the book of Ruth. A prophecy written 12, 1300 years before Christ came into the world in a story about how Naomi, outside the land, and her family suffers discipline. But in their exile from the land, they bring a Gentile, a horrid Moabite, to a saving knowledge of the Lord. And that takes them back into the land. And she ends up gleaning in the Fields of Boaz, who is a picture of Christ, in Him is strength, is what His name means. And while she's gleaning and gathering and being blessed, as she gathers from the field of Boaz, she ends up being His bride. And of course, you know the story. They have a child, and the child is Obed, and Obed is the father of Jesse, and Jesse is the father of David. And hear this horrid Gentile Moabite comes into the lineage of Jesus Christ. Did you know that coming down from the time of Ruth to the time of Christ, God narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed and narrowed the lineage down to one young woman, Mary. And once Christ came and lived and died, God has been widening and widening and widening the lineage as people in Pakistan and India and Africa all over the world are coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's God's plan of election in a nutshell. And that's Romans 8, 9, 10, and 11 in a nutshell. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for the grace that you have shown us. In fact, in my prayer, I can only end with the words of the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 11, verse 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become His counselor? Or who first gave to Him and it will be repaid back? For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank You for allowing us to play a part in the plan and to realize that we are every bit as much a lineage of our Savior, and yea, even more so as His bride, as those who came before. Thank You for allowing us to play a part in Your plan. Help us be humble. Help us be faithful. Help us to serve You with all our might. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.